Well, good morning, everyone. You know, this morning we're going to be witnessing what is a very special moment in the spiritual journey of Spencer Summer. I'm going to be able to be here as a witness to his baptism. And as I was thinking about that, I thought there may be people who are asking the question of, like, what makes baptism so important? You know, why are we doing this? What, what makes this a special moment in someone's spiritual journey? Why is Spencer, specifically, doing this this morning and inviting friends and family to be here as a part of this? Because it is a special time in his spiritual journey. So I thought it would be good for us to take a few minutes and just talk about that a little bit. What makes baptism special? Why has the Lord put this into His Word as a part of our journey with Christ? And so we're going to actually be starting in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll get back to this passage here in Romans chapter 6, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3, um, in an event that took place in Jesus' life. Uh, We're going to be meeting a guy here in Matthew chapter 3 by the name of John the Baptist. Many of you have heard the name, and you probably have some image that comes to mind when you think about John the Baptist. But he was not your normal-looking guy, and he certainly wasn't your normal preacher either. He was totally and completely unique. He He was the type of person that definitely would get your attention. And so we meet John as we start in Matthew 3, right here in verse number 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey, and people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, first of all, John wore clothing of that was worn by the Old Testament prophets, but the thing is, it was the Old Testament prophets from 700 years earlier. Now, my children think that my wardrobe is outdated, but when you're wearing something that was common 700 years ago, that's, that's going to be different, and it certainly was. It's this camel-haired garment with a leather belt that he used to cinch that around his waist, and so he stood out. It was very different than the typical clothing of a first-century Jew that he was actually preaching to. You would not miss... John the Baptist in the crowd. He sort of stood out. And speaking of the preaching of John the Baptist, he had a very direct and what many people would consider confrontational message. If you take each of the Gospels to give you different pieces of his message, you can put it together into something that sounds like this. The Messiah, who is the Savior, is about to come and you are not ready for him. You need to repent from the sin that is in your life and humbly prepare yourself to receive Messiah, to receive Savior into your life. So, listen up and get ready. And that was basically his message. And not even the men that were regarded as the most religious of his day 
were uh, were able to escape this very direct and confrontational message. These guys were called the Pharisees, and the Jewish society regarded them as the most religious, most godly people you could possibly be. And so we meet them in verse 7 here in in Matthew chapter 3, and this is what John said to them. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, if somebody called you a brood of vipers, they've got your attention. (laughs) And you're probably going to be just a little bit upset. And so the Pharisees obviously are. But the point is, John was saying, listen, as a general rule, none of you are ready for what's about to happen. And as Messiah, as Savior is coming, you need to prepare your heart. You need to be ready to receive him and the message that he has come to give. And then one day, Jesus himself, who up to this point in time had simply been an unknown carpenter in a little village called Nazareth in the northern part of Israel, well, Jesus walks out of a crowd one day and he steps into the water where John is baptizing people. And we pick up this part of the story in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and fulfill, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. You see, John knows that Jesus is the perfect and holy Son of God. So that means Jesus does not have any sin in his life that he needs to repent from. And also, Jesus does not need to prepare himself in order to meet the Messiah and Savior for the simple reason that he is Messiah and Savior. And so that's to say that as Jesus steps into the water and as Jesus comes up to John and Jesus says, I'm here for you to baptize me, Jesus is not like any of the other people who have come to John. He has no sin to repent from, and he is Messiah, so he doesn't have to prepare to meet him. And so we can understand why John the Baptist kind of pushes back. You know, the idea of determines, he he tries to convince him not to do this. He says, if anybody needs to be baptized here, I need to be baptized by you, and you've come to be baptized by me? And Jesus says, in answer to that, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What he's saying there is, in this moment, this is the thing to do. Because it fulfills my Father's plan, and he will use my baptism for his purpose. Yeah, Jesus' baptism is not like the baptism of anybody else by John the Baptist. No sin to repent from, no preparation to be made, but it was something that God the Father had determined was going to happen as the moment that Jesus' ministry is launched. And so Jesus is telling John, it's okay. You're right, under normal circumstances, I should baptize you, but in this moment, my Father will use it. And so go ahead and baptize me. And so John understands, and so it says that John concedes, and he goes ahead, and Jesus indeed is baptized. Now, in the baptism of Jesus, you see four things being accomplished, at least. 
First of all, Jesus is giving a seal of approval on the ministry of John the Baptist that what John is preaching from God is from God, and therefore it's true. It's really important because in just a little while, John the Baptist is going to be the first one to point at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Messiah. Behold the Savior. Go follow Him. And by being baptized, Jesus is validating that this message of John is true. A second thing that's really cool here is Jesus is identifying with us in our humanity. He's not identifying with us in our sin, but he is identifying with us in our humanity. Because Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who in a moment in time took on a fullness of humanity and became the God-man. And in this point, he is identifying with us in our humanity. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says, that in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting for God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, should make Jesus perfect through what he suffered. I don't understand that either. <laughs> but Jesus somehow grew and grew through the suffering that he went through while he was here. But here's the, here, here's, here's the neat part. Both the one who makes people holy, that is Jesus, And those who are made holy, that is anyone who puts faith in him, are in the same family. Just just soak that in for a moment. Jesus, who is the Savior, and everyone whom he saves, you're in the same family together. And he goes on and says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The Son of God looks at each one of us who have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he says, we're family. We're a family. I am your brother. You're my brother or sister under, under, in the family of God the Father. And in part of being baptized was Jesus identifying with us in our humanity. His baptism also is a picture of the death of, on his cross and the resurrection from the grave. It's why we practice here baptism by immersion is because we understand that as you go into the water, it represents Jesus Christ's Jesus Christ, death and, on the cross and burial. And as you come up out of the water, it represents his resurrection to new life. And so it pictures what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And then also, it's a moment in which God the Father declares that Jesus is his son. God the Father declares that Jesus is his son. Look in verse 16. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so Jesus puts the seal of approval on John in his message. Jesus identifies with us in our humanity. Jesus' baptism itself pictures his coming death on the cross and the resurrection three days later. And God the Father declares his seal of approval on Jesus by declaring, here is my son. And so all of that comes out of this moment in which Jesus Christ is baptized. The interesting thing is when Jesus Christ, about three years later, is instructing his apostles on the mission he is giving them, which is to go throughout the whole world and make disciples, make followers of me. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus Christ gave instructions to us because we carry on that as his church, that as people come into a saving faith with him, one of the things that we are to do in their lives in order for them to be on this, this journey of not salvation, but journey now of discipleship, is they are to be baptized. And he's, and he's connecting all the way back to how he started his ministry. He's saying, this is how you start your walk with me. And so we are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is very important that we understand that the act of baptism is not part of our salvation. It's a declaration that we're already saved. Baptism is not part of our salvation. It is a declaration that we're already saved. We've already made that decision of faith in Him as our Savior. It's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Faith in Jesus Christ as Savior brings our salvation, brings us into a right relationship with Him. Baptism is one of the first good works we're called to perform as a believer. And so in this act of obedience, as we are being baptized, we are saying this is the testimony of the saving work of Jesus Christ in my life. This is the testimony of the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And as we're going to see, as we are baptized, it, is, it creates this picture of what Christ has done in his death and resurrection as well as making a statement of our personal faith and commitment to him. And so Jesus himself sets the pace here because he is baptized to begin his ministry. Then he gives this instruction to the apostles and through them to us that we are now to take new believers and they are to be baptized in the same way he was baptized as they launch out into not their salvation, but into their walk with him. And then as the church launches In the book of Acts, baptism becomes an important step in a new believer's lives. They hear what Jesus says, and the church immediately begins to practice this. Peter tells the 3,000 new believers that come to Christ on the day of Pentecost to be baptized, right on that same day. It says in in Acts chapter 2 that God sends his Holy Spirit of what we consider to be the start of the church. He comes to indwell and empower believers, and Peter preaches the gospel to tens of thousands of Jews at the temple. As a result, at the end of his sermon, there's a bunch of these Jews that call out to Peter and says, well, what do we do with this? What do we do with this message? What do we do with this Jesus? What do we do with this gospel? What do, you, what do, what do we do with this call to faith in him as our Messiah, as our Savior? And Peter says... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's really important there. Repentance, that represents faith. So there's your salvation. And then immediately says, now be baptized. Again, not a part of the salvation, a first step of discipleship, a first step of following. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit The promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
And then it goes on, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, that was a baptismal service, man. I've often wondered, how did that happen? And I've pondered it, and I've thought about it. I've studied it, and I have to tell you, i got no idea, but we know that it took place. And it was this first step of walking with the Lord that comes out of their salvation. The Apostle Paul also was baptized just days after his own salvation. Paul had been a great thorn in the side of the church, a great enemy of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a prosecutor of the church. And then in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says that meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, who were Jesus' followers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We know this guy is the Apostle Paul later, but in the, earlier in his life he's known as Saul. So this is the Apostle Paul that we're talking about here. And so he cries out, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, And then in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and we'll pick up the story in a moment. Paul is determined to haul men and women back to Jerusalem, be thrown in the jail, perhaps even to be killed, to be executed. And along the way, he has an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And in that moment, he goes from the persecutor of the church to a believer in Jesus. He's taken into the town of Damascus. He's blind. He's there at someone's home. And God sends a believer by the name of Ananias to go minister to him. And you pick up the story in verse 15 in, in Acts chapter 9. I'm sorry, 17 in, in um, Acts 9. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And the church has continued to baptize new believers ever since. Spencer, the neat thing is, this morning you are following a path that goes all the way back to Jesus himself. And is now a path that millions of believers have taken over the last 2,000 years. And that's pretty cool. What we're going to do this morning will be a picture of Jesus himself. It's going to be a picture of Jesus and his crucifixion. It's going to be a picture of Jesus and his resurrection. And it will be a testimony of your faith in him. And the Apostle Paul brings greater detail to all this now in Romans chapter 6. So now 
we get back to Romans and that passage that was read for us this morning. Romans chapter 6. A little bit more understanding and depth to to what we've seen so far about baptism. Because in Romans chapter 6, Paul describes what happens to us spiritually when we put saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he begins that description in verse 3. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The cool thing is, when you put your faith in Christ as Savior, you now participate in everything that happened to Jesus from Good Friday through Easter. You were there. Your name is on his heart at the cross. And he died for your sins and your name is on his heart and his resurrection as he brought you new life. To be baptized means to be dipped into or immersed, but it also means to be placed into something. And when he says that we are baptized into Christ Jesus means we've been placed into the body of Christ. We have been placed into this thing we call the church. Not a local church like Grace Bible Church, but the universal church of all believers of all time, of all places. To be placed into the body of Christ, to be placed into the church, means you've been placed into the family of God, as we saw in Hebrews. We're brothers and sisters, and we're related to Jesus Christ himself, not only as Savior, not only as Lord, but as a brother part of the family, a co-heir with him. So when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, we were crucified with him. Our sins were laid upon him, and the full penalty for all of our sin was paid for so that through faith in Christ, we now receive the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. On April 3rd, 1977, Len and Denise the Barge, uh, yeah, we were at the Barge then, we were married, that's good. We, we We gave our lives to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ever since then, every time Jesus Christ looks at Len, he doesn't see me in my sin, it's because I still have sin, he sees Jesus in his perfection. And he says, you're right with me. You're right with me. And he does the same with everybody who's put personal faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ wrote, and that's why in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus rose from the dead with resurrection life, we rose with him. And now physical death is nothing more than a doorway into eternity for the believer. It is not the end of this life. It's the beginning of life with God in his presence. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. If you die before I come back, Jesus says, don't worry about it, man, because I've given you resurrection life that you will receive. 
The Apostle Paul wrote, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Nothing is feared more by the human race than death because its sting seems so final. But for the believer, the sting has been removed because it is that doorway into the presence of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's because I am now a new person and a new creation in Christ, and I've been called to live a different life. I've been called to follow Jesus. I've been called to walk in obedience to his word. Here in Romans 6, Paul says at the end of verse 4, we too may live a new life. That doesn't mean new and consecutive like we have an old one and a new one. It means a new life that is completely and totally different in character. And all of this happened the moment that I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, even as it happened in you, if you know Jesus as your Savior. You identified with his death and you received forgiveness. You identified with his resurrection, you received life. And now you have got a new life that you can live by God's grace for him. It starts the moment that you and I are willing to admit our sin. And that because of the sin in our life, it's not that we're the worst we could possibly be, but we are short of perfection, the perfection of God. And therefore, our sin has separated us from a perfect and holy God. It is believing that everything Jesus Christ said about himself is true. He is the eternal Son of God who in a moment in time took on full humanity, walked on this earth in a perfect life, went to the cross, died for our sins and paid its penalty, rose from the dead three days later in victory over the grave and victory over Satan and victory over sin and gives to us resurrection, eternal life through faith in him. And he is at the right hand of the Father in a position of power and authority. And in the moment determined by the Father himself, he will return and he will set a kingdom on this earth that will finally set everything right. Every desire in our heart to see true peace and righteousness will be fulfilled and we will reign with him forever. That's the gospel. I need to repent. I need to understand that I have been living a life to self to uh, my own agenda and I need to turn, which is all repentance means. And instead of facing away from God to myself, I face toward God with the desire of the heart that says, God, I want to be in a right relationship with you. And so therefore, I call out. And I say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Jesus, I give you my life. Be my Savior. That's the gospel. And when you and I respond with an awareness of sin and a belief in Christ and a repentance from self to God and call out and ask him to be our Savior, we receive his forgiveness, we receive his life, and we receive a new life in which we can follow him. And the spiritual life has got this physical picture of water baptism. Into the water, into his death, and re- into his death, 
rising in newness of life and the power of his resurrection. It's already happened to us spiritually. Baptism gives a physical picture of it for us. And then baptism is a statement. It's a statement that I have given my life to Christ as Savior, and now I live my life for Christ as my Lord. I've asked Jesus to be my Savior, and now I commit myself to walk with him as Lord. Picking up here in Romans 6 and verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And you get to verse 10, and it says, The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. Sin is no longer in control of me, and by God's grace, I now have the ability to live for God. To be done away with means to be rendered inoperative to remove the power and control of. Before I came to Jesus, sin, sin had a grip. But once you come to Christ, the grip has been broken. I can choose at any time that I'm going to step back into that sin, but I now, by the grace of God, can also decide that I will step into the path of God and walk with him. I can now make the decision to live my life for God. And I now can grow to be more like Jesus step by step and day by day. Because this Christian life is a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. I love the prayer. It's written by a guy by the name of Richard of Chester of England in the 1200s. And he wrote this. It was found in his diary. He said, thanks be to you, My Lord Jesus, for all the benefits you have given to me, for all the pain and insults you have borne for me, O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, of you three things I pray, to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. For some of you people around my age, you recognize those are the lyrics of the song Day by Day from the play Godspell. Now you know the lyrics of that song came from 1200. (laughs) But it's true. The Christian life is a journey of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and following Jesus one step at a time, one day at a time by the grace of God. And so that's why baptism is special. That's why baptism is important. That's why Jesus established it through his own example, and that's why he has instructed us to continue it now for 2,000 years. It pictures his death and the forgiveness we have received through him. It pictures his resurrection and the new life that we now have received through him. And it's an opportunity for us to make a bold statement I have given my life to Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I now choose to live my life for Jesus Christ as Lord. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, and you have been baptized, then I just say celebrate this moment with Spencer in his life. But also just take a moment 
and think about what God may be saying to you about your commitment to live life for him. That commitment you made when you were baptized as a believer. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've not yet been baptized, give some prayerful consideration if this is the time, not this morning, but if soon is the time for you to be taking that step of obedience in your own life. But if you've not placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to do so right now. And if you have questions, I'd be glad to talk with you after the service. I'll just let you know I'll be wearing something a little different than this, but you'll recognize the face. (laughs) We'd love to have that conversation with you now of what it means to have the personal relationship with Christ in which forgiveness and life and new life is given through him. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to go to worship and song. Father, we do thank you so much for all that is represented by this simple act of baptism. We thank you, Father, that it's a picture of your love for us that you gave Jesus in the first place. It is a picture of Jesus' love for us as he went to the cross on our behalf. It is a picture that sin does need to be dealt with because Jesus suffered torment beyond belief at the cross because of the sin that he bore. But it's also, Father, a statement of your mercy that what he accomplished on the cross, you now give to us forgiveness. And Lord, that we now know that in Christ we have resurrection life And that if we do die before his return, we are stepping through a doorway from temporal life to eternal life with you. And God, may we truly live out the fact that you've given us the grace to now live a new life, be a new creation, be a Christ-like follower, growing day by day as we go step by step. I pray for anyone here this morning who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus that, Holy Spirit, would you just bring to to bear that, that conviction and that awareness of that need for Christ? And Lord, we pray that through this ministry of Grace Bible Church in the years to come, that many more of these moments will be taking place. God, we pray for, um, and I pray for, and we all pray for Spencer. Thank you, Lord, for the step that he's taking today, and, and, the, and thank you for the love that's so evident around him as all these friends and family are here with him today. And God, may you continue to bless him and lead and guide in his life as he walks and follows you. And now, God, we Uh, prepare to raise our voices to you in praise and thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus that we pray. And together, the family of God says, Amen. Amen.